This, this weekend, I hope you'll pray for the men of our church that will be um, going to the prayer retreat. They will be leaving on Friday. We have um, 30, how many men we got? 36 men. Uh, so we've got it full. Um, if you missed out on being able to go, but you wish you could partake, we can have it on Saturday if you would like to join us on Saturday morning. Um, you, we have no restrictions on the, on the numbers there. Um, so if you'd like to take part in that, we'll have the bulk of our training on Saturday morning. We will have some Friday night. And you wish to take part in that prayer retreat uh, and you can't be there Friday night, let us know, uh, let the church office know. And uh, we want to know who you are so we can expect you to let the, the, the cooking staff know. So that will be this Friday and Saturday, and some of the women are gathering together Thursday in prayer for that time. Uh, so we are extremely thankful. We, I'm praying for God to do wonderful things in our hearts, uh, that we will have a, a different uh, approach, that of, of God-centered, uh, prayer-centered walking in faith with Christ. Uh, when men pray, according to 1 Timothy 2, there is something unique about that uh, in the church, about men praying together, and lifting up holy hands to the Lord. And so we're going to pray for that to happen in our, in our body. And we'll have, I, I think, the men's meeting will be this week as well, the Brotherhood meeting. You can certainly sign up for that. If you're not yet a member of a church, you're, you're interested in knowing about our church, uh, the day of growth that you see in your bulletin, I strongly encourage you uh, to take part in that. I'll be teaching that at, uh, in January. We'll have lunch for you. And i uh, love for you to be able to be a part. It doesn't obligate you to join our church, but it does help you in knowing what our church is about. <clears throat> now, if you'll turn in your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 3. Last week, we uh, focused on uh, a portion of chapter 3, and verse, uh, specifically verse 15 and 16, talking about the purpose of the letter as well as uh, what the church is. According to uh, 1 Timothy 3, that we are the... Uh, household of God, church of the living God, or the living God's church, is another way of saying that, and a pillar and buttress of the truth. And all of this letter uh, that we're going to be talking about is in, uh, keyed into that one idea, that one point uh, of how do we behave knowing who we are according to the Lord, according to His Word. And so that takes us to chapter 3, verse 1. We're going to back up and uh, we... We talked about the role of men, we talked about the role of women, uh, and now chapter 3, uh, a unique role in the church in what's called overseers uh, in the text I'm reading today, or maybe bishop uh, might be uh, another translation of that word. And how does decisions, uh, how are they made in a church, who are the leaders, and, and how does that work in our church? And, and this is something that uh, I think... Uh, the Lord is putting on my own heart and challenging me in, and uh, we're going to take a, a couple of weeks looking at this. As we look at 1 Timothy 3, there's uh, two offices primarily, that of, of overseer and then that of deacon, and uh, both of those are uh, in our church to various degrees, and they uh, have somewhat different qualifications, though very similar and so, this being the Word of God, I'm going to ask that we stand and read 1 Timothy chapter 3. Read verses 1 through 7, 
though I really am planning to cover verse 1. <laughs> this saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, a husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may be puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace and to a snare of the devil. You may be seated. You ever seen one of those jobs you thought to yourself, there's no way I would do that. I was sharing with my wife that most food industry jobs are that way for me. Uh, it just would not have a good outcome in my life personally. It wouldn't have a good outcome in the lives of people around me. I was just thinking, I was like, I could not think of one thing in, in restaurant business or anything that I thought I'd like to do. I'm not good at it. And uh, sometimes some of you may be thinking about that with regards to pastoring. You think there's no way on earth I would want to do that. Um, it would not be good for me. It would not be good for those around me. Yet, we've got verse 1. that says, the saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. And so, I want to talk a little bit about the role of overseer in, according to the scripture. I want to talk about what it is and what it isn't. Uh, and so, I'm obviously going to be... Um, relying on more than just verse 1 uh, to accomplish that. But I, let me just kind of share some reflections about our church and, and perhaps the history, not only of our church specifically, but church in America as, as we've known it for the last 50-some uh, years. <clears throat> when I first came to this church, uh, we had some uh, pretty good Q&A with uh, the, the committee that you had assigned to uh, find a pastor, and a lot of it, some of it was about church what we call church polity, church government, and about who the elders were and who they were not, uh, who makes decisions. And we, I had, at that time, had come to the conclusion that uh, this group called elders or overseers or um, pastors in some places uh, were the ones that God had specifically uh, pointed out in the scriptures to give leadership to the church and that the deacons were the ones who helped us preserve unity in our, in our church. And then we talked about what that might look like. Um, in my mind, it was uh, staff, pastoral staff, represented elders uh, that would help make the decision. Now, that's just one little snippet. Now, let me just talk about church in general and, and this church specifically. Most of you, if you grew up in church, you probably had a couple models of church leadership. One of them, uh, which is one that this church has spelled out constitutionally, uh, kind of gives a little bit of, of leeway, but one, one of them is where the deacons were to take the bulk of decisions, um, and they would make the decisions, and the pastor would come in and do the teaching, and would do the weddings, would do the funerals, and would do visits uh, as they were able. 
Um, that is a model that many of us in our church have in our in our mind. Um, it's many churches around this area and around America would have this this thinking uh, in their head. Part of that is because pastors would come and go. Uh, and so the ones who everyone knew in the deacons who were faithful were the ones that you would, would be trust on in making those decisions. And that was just a typical model many churches have. This church has had that model for most of its church life. Uh, and then there's the other model, which kind of came into rise in the, in the 80s and 90s, in which uh, pastors were more... Uh, aggressive, and there was more control uh, in the pastoral staff, uh, where they would make the decisions and they would run with it. And and we have that, especially in the larger churches, uh, where you would see this take place. And and so you, it was almost like a CEO mindset. Now, one thing I want to bring to you, and I brought to you last week, is that the church is unique in and of itself. We cannot take business models and make the church fit into it. We may take some, some simple principles in dealing with people, and maybe those become useful, but we cannot make the church fit into business mold. The church is not an army, and we can't make it fit into the military mindset. Okay, The church is not a school. And... And this is tough because a lot of us spend our life in those areas. Schools and jobs, military. And that's often the mindset we have when we think well, something's well run. We're going to take that model and, and make sure there's good organization. And so when we come to the church, we start naturally thinking, okay, we'll just take these same principles and apply them because after all, they're people. But there's several reasons that cannot work and should not work. And I'm going to talk about some of those uh, today. As I became, became pastoring here, I was coming from a model where my main job that I saw it was, I'm going to teach the people, visit as I'm able, priority in teaching the people. And the influence that would be done would be done through the teaching. And, and, and the deacons would take care of a lot of the, uh, the organizational work, a lot of the management work in some, some cases. Sometimes it was building resources. And that was where I came from. And then I came here and I had some of the folks that were thinking that way, felt that way. Then there were others in our church who are thinking no, Pastor, you're, you're the CEO. You're the one who's going to direct everything. You're going to tell the deacons what to do. You're going to tell the staff what to do. You're going to tell the church what to do. And we wait your direction. Now, here's the thing. There's some points of truth in each side. But when you have both sides in a church, it causes a little schizophrenia. And there are some major identity questions that results from that. I would argue that our church probably has dealt with this for not just eight, nine years, but probably 15, 16 years. And what I wish for us and what I'm praying for is that we will go to the Bible 
And if we were just starting out and say, I want to start this, this thing of church, and I know nothing about church, and all I'm going to do is just look in the Bible to find direction, what would be the conclusion we would come up with if all we had was just the Bible to give us direction as to how a church should work? Can you, can you understand what I'm saying there? I pray that sinks into your head. Ask myself, what would this church look like if we just had the Bible to inform us as to how we are to form? I'm trying to do that myself. I know it's hard. I've been going to church since nine months before I was born, and it's just continued on. Um, And heavily involved in church and all this. And so... I. I want to look at the scripture and say, okay, God, where I am blind and because of my tradition, help me to see what scripture has to say, not what tradition has to say. I would commend that where deacons are maintaining and and functioning as overseers, there's some good qualities in that. When pastors are doing the overseeing, there's some good qualities in that. But I would present to you that it's not necessarily either or. There is a balance, and I, and I think that this balance is given to us in Scripture. And so, let me just talk about, first, who the elders are not. When someone aspires to be the office of an overseer or a bishop... He desires a noble task. First, you need to know that the overseer is not the head of the church. All right? Lesson number one. The overseer is not the head of the church. And this is where we're going to come in conflict with business models. Why do I say that? Well, because the scripture says very clearly that Christ is the head of the church. Ephesians 5.23 Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. I cannot really get any clearer than that. Ephesians 5.23 But, in case we wanted more, Colossians 1.18 Christ is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. Ephesians 4, 15 through 16, grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body makes bodily growth and builds itself in love. Christ is the head. So we have to have a structure that acknowledges that Jesus is the director of the church. So how do we do that? One is we hold up the word of God. And the word of God, properly interpreted, properly understood, gives precedence in how we work. One of the things I love about Green Pines is that this church loves God's Word. They want to know, you want to know, what the Word of God says. That's great. And that is God-given in His desire. Now, we need to make sure that we match the desire for God's Word with the faith and obedience to God's Word. But when what's clearly brought to us from God's word, we will follow that. And so why is that important? Because this is the word of 
God, it is the word of Christ. And so when we recognize that Christ is the head of the church, we must give precedence, preeminence to the word of God in our church's body. So, so no constitution will trump God's word. It needs to be clear that constitution does not trump God's word, that a pastor does not trump God's word, a Sunday school teacher, a leader, a deacon does not trump God's word, that we are under the umbrella of God's teaching. Also, it is mandatory that there is the submission to God's spirit. The submission to God's spirit. Now, I have seen and I found I can bring it in scripture that I need other believers to help me. To be submissive to the Spirit of Christ. So what does that mean? If, if Christ is the head of a church, then a pastor, someone who might be regarded as a leader of the church, needs to have some mutual accountability among brothers and the faith. Because sometimes I can be blind. Sometimes pastors can be blind. The Word of God is infallible, but the man of God is not. Okay, y'all know that, right? I, it shouldn't be rocket scientists, but sometimes that blows us up because we're growing up and we're thinking this guy's—he's always going to lead us right. Christ will always lead us right. Pray for me that I will follow Christ, and then some of you might be more than just praying for me. Some of you might be challenging me to follow Christ. So, elders are not the head of the church. So there should be structures and practices that lets Christ, the head, govern, lead, and nurture his church. I think that's why it's important that you know that when you come here on Sunday morning, when we have corporate gathering, you're going to hear from God's Word. You're going, to, you're going to open up the Bible to 1 Timothy 3, and you're going to get verse by verse. You're going to get that because Christ is the head of the church. That's one of the dangerous things about going places, and you don't ever open up the Bible. You don't ever know where they're picking up these ideas. They sound good. Good moral things. But if it's not the word of God, then how are you being fed by God's word? And you can make an argument that Christ is not the head if his word is not teaching. So our practices, our structures need to let Christ govern, lead, and nurture this church. He's the one who's going to sustain us. Now, it's also important for you to know that elders are not priests. All right, elders are not ministers in a unique way. I, I remember one time I was I was visiting a a, a, a mill, a flour mill, and we were there. There's quite a few Hispanic folks, and I was meeting some of them, and one of them I'd known previously, and they introduced me to uh, some of their friends, and they said, "This is the Padre." I was thinking, well, I hadn't heard that one yet. Um, padre, which of course means father. And I'm thinking, uh, no, no, I'm, I'm not. There, there's God. He can be your father. Um, I can point you to him. All right. Uh, the scripture says in 1 Peter 2.9, 
You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people, that you may declare the wonderful deeds of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So what is God doing? God is making us through Christ a royal priesthood. And so when someone aspires to be an overseer, he's not aspiring to be a priest in a unique, special way in what, than other than what God has already made him or her. You are a, a priest in that Jesus Christ has given you life and you represent God to the people around you and you can take the needs of people around you and bring them to God. You, you form as a, a bridge. You are a minister in that you're a believer in Jesus Christ. Every once in a while someone will call me minister and I will call them minister in return. Why do I do that? Well, Ephesians 4.12 says that pastors and teachers exist to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Who does the work of the ministry? The saints. What do the pastors do? They, and teachers, they equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. So you are ministers. That is not what makes a pastor overseer unique. We all are ministers if we are in Christ. We are all priests if we are in Christ. 1 Timothy 2.5, there is one God, one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. Here's the good news about that, is that when you are in times of need, and you need to reach out to God, and you need to talk to God, and you need God to talk to you, you don't have to wait to see if I'm available. Jared, can you come over and pray with me? Oh, I really need you to pray with me because you can, you can grab onto God. Now, that may be flattering to me, but theologically, it's totally wrong. If you have Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you can talk to God and God can talk to you. Now, it's good to have other people praying for you, but don't look at them as a witch doctor, a Christian shaman. That's not what we do. You have Jesus. You don't need a witch doctor. You're priests. You're ministers. You have one mediator between God and yourself, the man Christ Jesus. 1 Timothy 2.5 Now, let me share with you one other thing that we're not... As overseers, I'm, I'm not a unique priest and minister. I'm, I'm not the head of the church. Uh, overseers are not heads of the church. And overseers are not over the authority of the local congregation. We're not over the authority of the local congregation. Scripture teaches that the church authority trumps under Christ under God's word. Why do I say that? Consider the words of Jesus when he was talking about in Matthew 18, introducing this concept of church, this assembly, this gathering uh, together that he's going to build. And then he talks about when people sin and they are unrepentant in their sin, the, the challenge is that he, he says, bring them before the church when you have made every endeavor to bring repentance to them, to challenge them one-on-one, two-or-three-on-one, challenging them, and then ultimately the last strand is that you bring them to the church for a decision 
We see this same idea brought out again by Paul in 1 Corinthians 5, verse 4 and 5. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every word may be confirmed by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. So the church becomes the final court of appeals in matters of of discipline when membership is being decided or not. It's the most basic authority of the church under Christ. Now, what does that mean? That means the church can and does scripturally call out and delegate and set out unique individuals. But that person is under the church's authority. The elder is under the church's authority in that the doctrine of our church has been given to me in parameters under the Word of God by the church, that there is some moral conduct that has been given to me in guidelines under this church, and that as a, a pastor and as an elder, I'm operating underneath the doctrine and underneath uh, the, the, the moral directives that this church has set aside. If I was to come in and say, you know what, the Bible's really good, but let me introduce to you this other book I've written that's going to have equal weight and authority. That would be a problem for several reasons. I've rejected the head of Christ and the word of God, but I also have rejected the church's authority and that the church has already established that the Bible is going to be the, the source of authority. I've absurded the church's authority at that point. So any authority that I have practically, now spiritually it comes from God through the word of God, but practically it's going to come through the church. All right. Now here's here's one of the things I've, I've found challenging. If I'm regarding the pastor as the elder, and then the pastoral staff as the elder group, here's what happens. I get to know them. I talk with them. I pray with them. Uh, I'm running ideas off of. I get to know them very well. You don't get to know them as well. But yet somehow they reflect the pastor, but you don't know them, you don't trust them. It doesn't make for a good, easy following. And so the church doesn't receive it. And if the church doesn't give practically the authority, then they're acting as advisors but they're not able to act as an overseer in the areas where they're at. Now, that's a product of not knowing them. And perhaps maybe saying, is it really right to call them an elder if the church doesn't know them? I would argue that may not be the best policy, the best way of acting, is to say, okay, we're going to call them in as an elder, pastor, overseer, but we don't know who they are. It's been often advised to me that 
before any real influence a pastor can make, it's going to be only done after being there five years. Why? Because the church doesn't know you. They don't trust you yet. I can see that. I can understand that. Understand that as elders or as pastors, these are under the authority of the church. And for someone to be an elder, it's because the church recognizes that they have these qualities that we're going to talk about sometime in 1 Timothy 3. They've seen it. They testify to that. And they are willing to submit to that. So let me talk a little bit about who these overseers are. We're talking about who they're not. The overseers are not over the authority of the local congregation. They are under the authority of the local congregation. Uh, the, the overseer is not a unique priest and minister. They are not the head of the church. So who are these overseers? Well, they're, they're leaders. God calls some members of each congregation uh, to feed and lead the church. It is a gifting that God gives to an individual, according to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. So, even though there is some equality before God, as that we are all children, we're all ministers, we're all priests, we're all heirs and co-heirs with Christ, does not mean that God has not called out some to be leaders, to serve as a leader. Their worship is in the leading, as someone else's worship might be in the following. There's several passages that speak to this. Hebrews 13, verse 7 says, Remember your leaders, those who speak to you the word of God, consider the outcome of their life and imitate their faith. Hebrews thirteen seventeen. Obey your leaders and submit to them for their keeping watch over your souls as men who will have to give account. First Thessalonians five twelve. We beseech you, brethren, to respect those who labor among you and over you in the Lord and admonish you to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Acts chapter twenty verse twenty eight. He's speaking to the the leaders, the elders at, at Ephesus, and he tells them. Paul says, "Take heed to yourself and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers." to care for the church of God. So there's two primary tasks for elders, overseers, pastors. One is to lead overall in the church, to, to oversee. Some had said, I think Adrian Rogers has said, that, uh, that anything that has two heads is a monster. For some reason, we take that and we say, well, okay, there needs to be one Leader, And there does need to be one director, one overseer, one leader, but it does not preclude or exclude the fact that there might be other leaders with this one to counsel this one. There is one that God has gifted to a church who will give unique direction, vision to the church. And so that's one task of the leader of two, of, of which we'll talk about. Now... I want you to understand something that these overseers, not only are they leaders, I want to just bring out this, they were leaders in the New Testament. They're leaders in the New Testament. I just want to bring to you several New Testament passages that make recognition of this. In Jerusalem, Acts 15, verse 22. Then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders with the whole church to choose men and to send them to Antioch. 
So the whole mission movement out of Jerusalem was birthed out of this idea that was already there that there was a group of people called elders along with the apostles. In Ephesus, to whom this letter was written, Acts chapter 20, verse 17, Paul meets with a few of them as he's going to Jerusalem. And in Acts 20, 17, he goes to this island called Miletus and Paul sent to Ephesus and called to him the elders of the church. There's more to be said about that passage in Acts 20. In Titus 1.5, to all the towns of the region called Crete, Titus 1.5, Paul says, This is why I, Paul, left you in Crete, that you might amend what was defective and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. So all the churches in this area of Crete were given direction to appoint elders. All the churches in Pontus, Galatians, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia. Peter writes to these in 1 Peter 5.1. He says, So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ as well as partaker in the glory that is to be revealed. And so in all these regions, Paul or Peter is making mention of the elders that are there. And, and James, uh, writing from Jerusalem, writing to the churches, he says to the twelve tribes of the dispersion, to all the churches that James is writing, he says in James 5.14, Is any among you sick? Let him call the elders of the church. Let him pray over them, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And then you look at all the churches that Paul found, founded. Acts 14.23, When he appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord and whom they believed. In fact, when you look at the New Testament and you see a church, you usually see elders. And you see them as a group. You see them in a plural sense. A plural sense. Now, I want to share with you the, the second function of an elder. Not only is they're overseeing the leading aspect, but the second primary job is to feed the Word of God, to teach the Word of God. All right? uh, so let's look at this. In, in Titus 1.9, it says, The elders must hold firm to the sure word as taught, so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine, also to confute those who contradict it. So in, in, in Titus, he's saying that the elders are the ones, the overseers are the ones who are holding and trust the truth, the life of the church. 1 Timothy 5.17 let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. All right? uh, so there's this second function of, of teaching the Word of God. In fact, as, as we're going to read in 1 Timothy 3, one of the qualifications that separates the overseer from the deacon is that this person is able to teach. Able to teach. So two primary functions. Oversee the leading direction of the church and to teach God's Word. Two primary tasks. Now, I want you to think about something. You may be arguing with me saying, well, Pastor, the text you're saying here, 1 Timothy 3 says overseer, but you keep using the word elders and pastors. How do you know there's not three different groups of offices in the church called elders overseers, and pastors. First of all, I would just bring out that when Paul gives instruction to Timothy on how to manage the church, he only brings out two offices. But I, I want to bring to your attention something else. 
Acts 20, remember this is where Peter's meeting with the leaders from Ephesus, Miletus. He says, bring the elders here, I want to meet with you. Well, interesting what he tells them. He says to them in verse 28 of Acts 20, God has made these elders, he's made them overseers and bishops. Overseers and bishops. And then, same verse, Acts 20, 28, the elders of Ephesus are encouraged in their pastoral task, their shepherding task. He says, elder, oversee, and pastor. Uses these three terms interchanging to the same group of people. Now, in 1 Timothy, he says, if anyone aspires to be the office of bishop, he says, you desire noble tasks, but notice the qualifications. You're apt to teach. You're to take on the teaching role, unlike the deacons uh, in the passages in chapter 3. He also says in the qualifications, verse 3, to manage your own household well, which has uh, the idea so that you'll be able to also manage the church, God's house well. And so you have that same task of overseeing as a family and teaching that's within the qualification of an overseer. In Philippians 1, verse 1, Paul writes to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the bishops, overseers, and deacons. So he says in this church in Philippi, there's two different offices. The bishops are overseers and deacons. Two different offices and only two different offices. Ephesians 4.11, Scripture says, treat pastors and teachers as one group, which suggests a chief role of pastors feeding the flock through the teaching. So what do the deacons do? Well, we'll look at that later. But we see in Acts that the primary function of the deacons was to minister to the needy, the poor, and the sick, to protect the unity of the church, in that the pastor, elder, overseer, can stick to the two tasks of teaching the Word of God and giving overall direction. Now, I know a lot of this is a little bit like school. All right? I understand that. But I can't get past that we need a little bit of school right now in our church life. If all you had was the New Testament... And you were trying to figure out how we're going to lead the church. What would you come to? I think this is something for our church to pray about. For those of you who are piqued by this, some of you who may be irritated or upset or concerned by what I'm bringing out to you, If that fits you, I want you to take this passage in 1 Timothy 3 and the others that I've mentioned, and we can email those out if you'd like, and read them for yourself. Read them for yourself and see what conclusions you come up with. I would argue that a healthy church would regard a directing feeding, teaching, pastor, overseer with a group of pastors that's not just 
paid staff, professional type people, but also those within the church body, what we commonly call the laity, if you're not if you don't have the title reverend or ordained or something like that uh, in your record. But the church sees you as a pastor type. You meet the qualifications of 1 Timothy 3. I think a healthy church is going to embrace some of those of their own that's been with this church body for years with what we commonly call pastor, the professional, the the paid person, and a group together with each other, with one directing, but yet ironing out the plans, the vision, the direction, the teaching, so that when direction comes from an elder group, an overseeing group, a pastor group, the church sees it as their own decision, not just the pastor's decision divorced from the church. Not just the staff's decision divorced from the church. The staff, all those who are not regarded as part of that pastoral group, would be as servants in the equipping, ministrating task. But you know what? I submit to this church. So, as we think about this, and pray about this together. It may not be my wish. And I'm going to trust in the Holy Spirit to take the scriptures for what it says in your own life. We're going to talk about this beginning in February on Sunday nights. We're going to be talking about this on Wednesday nights. We started last Wednesday. I'm going to be talking about this with some select men, challenging them, encouraging them. But let us pray together as a church and read the scriptures for what it says it is. That is to give us instructions that we know how to behave in the household of God, God's family, God's living, living God's church, a pillar and buttress of truth. Just because we've always done it does not mean it's the biblical way. Now what's... Why am I preaching about this? For a lot of reasons. But for those of you who do not know Christ as your Savior and Lord. Sometimes the biggest obstacles to coming to faith are pastors. (laughs) That's tough for me to admit. But it's true. Sometimes the biggest obstacle for someone coming to the Lord has been a pastor. Maybe one in TV. Maybe one that you've known. The pastor made a mistake. Perhaps acted out of anger. Acted out of immorality. Was foolish in their decisions. They're human. And we cannot put them on a pedestal and think they're always going to make the right decisions. We're not. And what's needed in that pastor's life is needed in every person's life. Is there a group of people that's praying for them, that's challenging them, encouraging them, 
asking him? Are you growing in the Lord? Are you seeking the Lord? I'd like to say that the group of deacons that we've got now, they don't rubber stamp things. They don't just say, well, whatever, Pastor. There's been challenging conversations that's been there. We've, I've leaned on them as an elder group, even though as a body they don't necessarily meet the qualifications of an elder group. Some might. Some may not. But it, it mattered to me more to hear what they had to say. To know that the church was with us or not. So I would say to you that the group of deacons have been a gift to me. And they've been a a gift to this church. I thank God for it. But I know that God is calling out elders. Calling out pastors. I expect someday there will be a time and place when those who have the professional title pastor or clergy may get targeted. It's happened in other countries as they've separated from God's word. I can see it happening here. If something was to happen to me, Mike, could someone rise up and say, I'll be the pastor? A healthy church can do that. A church that's discipling can do that. And that's upon me. To do that. But here's the great thing. I will fail you. Past pastors will have failed. Future pastors will. But we're not the chief shepherd. Jesus is your chief shepherd. He is infallible. He is the word of truth. He is holy. He is righteous. He is without sin. He is the Ancient of Days. He is wisdom. He is fully capable. Even death cannot swallow Him. We have a great pastor in Jesus Christ. And I do not want to replace Him. And no one should. And please, for the sake of Christ... Do not put more on me than what you should put on Christ. Look to Him for your own joy, for your future and hope. Do you have a great captain? Do you have a shepherd of your soul? Do you have a king, a lord, a savior, a resurrected one in your life? Do you claim allegiance to Him? If you don't claim allegiance to Him, then who do you claim it toward? They will fall short, including yourself. I want to pray that all of us know Jesus as our pastor. Now, entrance into His church isn't coming just because you want to be in His flock. It comes first because you admit you need a Savior. To join this church, you might have to attend a class. You might have to come forward. But to join God's family, you have to admit that in your heart, you're bankrupt before God. And you need a pastor. You need a Savior in Jesus Christ. If He doesn't save you, you have no hope.
That's how you come in. And you come in saying that Jesus Christ is faithful and capable and I want to make him Lord. I want to believe him and I confess my sin. And from this point on, by the grace of Christ, I will make him king. That's how you join the church. The universal church, the one that matters for eternity. And when you do that, go as quickly as you can to join the church local to attest that God is alive through your son, Jesus. Let's pray.